proactive donor disclosure. This week, the election is 10 days away. We'll try to keep up with the fire hose of information that's coming out. Plus non-election stuff with the completion of the first phase of Imagine Jasper Avenue. But of course, that's not the end of construction downtown. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 150, where we're counting down the days to election. There are 10 days remaining if you are listening to this on release, which you should be. Friday at noon, it's a great, fun party time. You can be in the know. Gotta say, Mac, um, the election has been going on in our hearts and minds for most of the year at this point. Yeah. But the amount of exhaustion I've felt this past week, it is ramped up exponentially. And I've already voted. My part is done. And you're not a candidate this time. I mean, you've been there. You've been on the other side of this before as well. Yeah, but to be fair, when I was a candidate last time, when 10 days before the election rolled around, it was very clear I had lost the election. So <laughs> stakes stakes were pretty low. Fair enough. But the stakes are always hot, hot, high in the rapid fire segment. Yeah, that's what we're going with. That's the transition. A new Edmonton Vital Signs report has said that single adults are struggling to make ends meet and single adults are over three times more likely to live in poverty, making up a full third of the social assistance users in the province. This has been a boon for a local Edmonton startup's new app, Beggar, without an E, of course, which the founder bills as, quote, a dating app for poor people. In the app's mission statement on the website, the company says, quote, money can't buy happiness, but it's clear from correlation that happiness buys money. Swipe right to get off food stamps. HBO has taken a keen interest in Edmonton, investing $10 million in an outdoor venue on Rice Howard Way. The space, which takes up the entire street and includes broken down cars, smashed infrastructure and general destitution, was built to be a thematically appropriate location for Mike Nichols' mayoral victory party. When Donald Trump was elected, late night hosts actually lamented the effect he had on jokes. He was so boisterous, so obviously incompetent and so unrepentant that subtlety was thrown out the window and making effective jokes became more and more difficult and tiring. Apropos of nothing, Alberta has rolled out a vaccine QR code without an app to scan them so they are not replacing paper records. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode is brought to you by ATB. At ATB, we make banking work for you. With expert and practical advice in everyday banking and investment planning expertise and management services with ATB Wealth, you can be confident that you're making smart choices when it comes to your money. We have a history of doing what's right for our clients, especially when times are tough, because ATB was built to help Albertans. For more information, visit atb.com. We're going to jump into a lot of election stuff today, but I'm looking at our notes document. And the first topic, I'll take you behind the scenes, dear listener. We've got a document that it's not a script, but it's got some detailed notes, some choice quotes, things that we will pull from our fingertips so it makes it seem like we're intelligent when perhaps we're just (laughs) researched. Um, This first topic is all in bold and it says, Mac to rant about downtown. No details. <laughs> so, Mac, what what's going on here? Let's let's hear it. Well, in the rapid fire, we had the joke about the HBO show that they're filming, and of course, you know, the easy joke that everybody's making is they picked Edmonton as the location to film this post-apocalyptic place because Edmonton looks crappy downtown. And I'm so glad, Troy, that you went above and beyond with your joke and didn't take the easy way out. I already did hundred episodes ago, and I have to think of fresh material now. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so here's my short little rant. I live on 104th Street. Uh, every day I take my daughter to daycare. It's only about six blocks away. It has become near impossible to get there without having to navigate a maze of construction every single day. And now on top of that, it's not just on Rice Howard Way. They're also filming the show on 104th Street. So they've closed it completely to traffic. You have to walk on the sidewalks now. You can't jaywalk. Everyone jaywalks on 104th Street. And for two days coming up in a week or so, they're going to shut it down completely, which means buildings like the one that I live in that have a front entrance and no back entrance can't go out the front entrance anymore. We have to go through the parkade. But whatever, the filming is only here for a couple of weeks. It's the construction, Troy, that is just driving me nuts. And I think it just reiterates how hostile to pedestrians this city is. You have to go north and south to travel east and west on on 102nd Avenue like a dozen times to get where you're going because you got to navigate the concrete that they've decided to cut out of 104th Street and then again on 103rd Street and 105th Street and 101st Street <laughs> not to mention that half the street is closed anyway because they've been doing the center high building the the boardwalk building which is, feels like it's been under construction for years is just chaotic. Like I can see why HBO was like, this is our place. This is where we're filming. And this is just one tiny little part of downtown. So I'm very frustrated about it. I also know I blogged about this eight years ago or something. I think it was 2013. I wrote a blog post back, you know, when I was blogging still. And I said, LRT construction, short-term pain, long-term gain. And now I'm looking at that thinking that past Mac was just hopelessly naive because There hasn't been short-term pain. There's only been long-term pain here. I'm going to push back just for a little bit and ask you the question. For a downtown resident, isn't complaining about construction the equivalent of a suburban resident complaining about parking? Or, you know, the suburban resident complaining about uh, power lines behind their house or or something like that. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that, right? And feel free to, you know, make fun of me for this or whatever, but... You know, the construction that happens outside the downtown can be quite significant, but it's not literally all around you. Every street in every direction I go is closed in some fashion for construction. And I guess I could get over it if they finish the projects. But what they do is they rip up the street, they do whatever they're doing with the pipes or whatever, and then they leave open holes of concrete with barricades around it for weeks on end. It just sits there. Like, like we've run out of concrete or cement or asphalt to come and fill it in. So you're constantly having to, to navigate around these things. It's just, I know, you're right. It is a bit of nimbyism here, but I'm just getting frustrated by it. So every candidate this election has said, we're going to do construction better and on time and on budget. And I assume because they've said those platitudes, you feel completely confident that in the next term, this will no longer be an issue? Oh, yeah. You've <laughs> read my mind. <laughs> I think there's no better example of the helplessness of the mayor to address this than to think about Don Iveson took a particular interest on ending construction signage hoarding on city sidewalks. And it was a couple of years ago where he said, you know, we're done with construction signs being abandoned on city sidewalks. We're going to address this problem. And Mac, has that problem been addressed? No. This is yet another construction problem that remains a problem in our city. All right, Troy, thanks for letting me rant a little bit. I will keep trudging along through the endless maze of orange barricades downtown. Here's the thing. We said last week that we were excited about having new crosswalk paint, and then I cut 
those comments from the episode. So the listener won't have heard them. But both you and I were excited that at least at some points on Jasper Ave, there's new crosswalks being painted. Mm-hmm. There's new fresh looking infrastructure. There, There's some things to be happy about. And in fact, the city is celebrating the completion of the construction of phase one of Imagine Jasper Avenue. This is a project between 109th Street and 114th Street on Jasper Avenue. Uh, the city tweeted that it has wider sidewalks, improved roadway, shorter pedestrian crossings, and more. There's a bike lane on 110th Street now. But the hilarious thing about this announcement is the photo they chose to post to illustrate this. There is how many lanes in here, Troy? One, two, three, four, five, six, six lanes of traffic with a little bus turnout as well. So a significant looking freeway is what they're celebrating here. The tweet, I mean, it's chef's kiss lack of self-awareness. It's phenomenal because they've centered the camera in the middle of this car sewer and they're celebrating the new pedestrian infrastructure. The sidewalks (laughs) at best have been expanded like six inches, I guess. Like it's not even a foot in most places. And I think the most frustrating thing about this tweet is... This project has been going on for like the past year and a half or so. And Jasper Ave has basically been one lane in each direction as one side of the road is closed down and another side is closed down. And Mac, it's worked really well. Because there's so much less traffic, you mean, right? Is that what you're getting at? Here's the thing. Even if traffic is bumper to bumper, solid flow, cars are constantly coming. If there's one car in each direction, you can cross. Like that's not hard to do. It's not hard to frogger between two cars. (laughs) When it's six lanes, that frog is getting crushed under a semi's tires. Like that's just inevitable. The tweet I saw everyone posting and and quote tweeting and sharing was Brent Totterin, who said, imagine being proud of this. And that's uh, (laughs) the first time I actually saw that hashtag traffic sewer, as you've been describing it. Uh, a lot of our neighborhood renewals, I'm thinking specifically of like Strathcona and Garneau, are going to be great places to live and walk. So like we have the capability of doing better, but we choose not to. And this was a choice where we were imagining Jasper Ave. And I just feel so sad for the people within the city that presented this plan as the best possible thing we could imagine. That's just... A lack of an imagination that makes me sad for them. I think one of the problems here might be that they're calling this Imagine Jasper Avenue. But if you actually look at the city of Edmonton's website, it's connected to Jasper Avenue New Vision. And this this broad project to reestablish um, Jasper Avenue as Edmonton's main street. And it's from 92nd Street, you know, all the way to the west part. And I think part of the problem here is that this has been going on for well over a decade. When I started focusing my blog on Edmonton in the late 2000s, like 2008, 2009, Jasper Avenue New Vision was one of the very first projects that I wrote about. It's not surprising to me that the planners who were in charge back in 2009 envisioned something that in 2021 we feel is a little bit underwhelming at best. And just a pro tip for the city of Edmonton, if you want to reimagine your street as a main street, perhaps just spitballing here, using your existing Main Street guidelines as, <laughs> as a framework might might assist with that process. Just, I think the final note, because, you know, we've been a bit down on it, the bike lane new crossing at 110th Street is really nice. All right? That's just true. Yep. Unreserved kudos there. 
connects into Railtown really nicely. Yep. Yeah. Well, it still does the like one alley section, but ex- accepting that like 15 meters in that alley, it's mm, very, very good. Kudos to the Edmonton Journal as well. Um, they've been uh, really opening up their paper. You know, campaigns are trying to get attention from journalists. You know, if you can get on the front page of the paper, that's a bunch of free advertising. Well, this Edmonton Journal has been opening up their papers and they're offering each mayoral candidate a column space in the weeks leading up to the election. And this week, they gave Vanessa Denman column space. And you tweeted her column at me and said I had to read up on it and my response was i hate everything about this mac we're not going to spend very much time on this segment but tell me what's going on here well i don't know i don't think anyone knows what's <laughs> going on here in vanessa denman's column she talks about this map of consciousness and that edmonton the average edmontonian is calibrated at 175 and the next step is 200 like i don't know what the units are troy they're just those are the numbers probably thetans yeah uh and the next step is courage and it's the gateway energy needed to pop the bubble and she (laughs) says quote help me pop the bubble edmonton and invoke your free will and i thought this was just like what the i have no idea what this is about it's kind of hilarious that uh that this is uh the column that she wrote i don't know anything about vanessa denman i'm sure she's a lovely woman she's clearly out to lunch when it comes to serving as mayor I don't understand why the journal thought this was a good idea. And uh, I feel like I can say that because Taproot has actually done some really important journalistic work over this whole year with this People's Agenda Project, really trying to help people understand candidates and issues. And the paper comes along and just republishes a bunch of nonsense. Like, how does this serve anyone? It makes Vanessa Denman look horrible. It doesn't actually highlight... it. The only thing it does is help you understand that you shouldn't vote for Vanessa Denman, which... I'm sure you didn't need the Edmonton Journal to help you decide. So I, like the dutiful podcast host that I am, attempted to research this a little bit. Um, David R. Hawkins, if you try to find him, there are other people named David R. Hawkins or David Hawkins. This is the this is the guy that wrote the map of consciousness she referenced. As far as I can tell, the map of consciousness, treat it as sort of like the MCU of David Hawkins' work. You know, he's got like eight or ten books all about different things, but when you combine them together, the output is the map of consciousness. Now, I'm just speculating because I researched this for like 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Wow, you are dedicated. Well, so here's the problem, because there is very little text that explains this stuff because most of it was written like Vanessa Denman's article, which is just unintelligible nonsense. <laughs> uh, so I needed a better explanation. I think, well, Khan Academy taught me calculus when I was in high school. Let's go to YouTube. And Mac, that was my first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you went down the rabbit hole, did you? It seems to me that the fans of David R. Hawkins are culturally imperceptible from the fans of Jordan Peterson. So you have the same sort of like alt-right-ish video bloggers that talk about the concepts. I managed to watch a couple of them. Here's the crux that I think I got from the two videos that I watched. Basically, the world is full of so much extrasensory information. You know, there's you can only see visible light, but there's also X-ray radiation. There's ultraviolet radiation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's cosmic rays. Uh, we can only hear and smell a certain subset of the yeah. observable universe. But 
if you are able to open your consciousness to a higher level, you can perceive these things in a way that science haven't yet allowed us to. So I think what Vanessa Dedman is alleging that if Edmontonians really will ourselves together, we can all get superpowers. That's the bubble she wants to pop. I mean, I could get on board with that. If, you know, the end result here is the Avengers, then sign me up. Well, do you hear that uh, (laughs) Tony Stark doesn't pay the Avengers, Mac? Uh, It sounds like you're pretty anti-worker there with that take. Um. (laughs) I guess so. Well, this is fascinating research, kind of. I'm impressed that you did so much homework on this. But actually, you mentioned something else you found in your research, which we have to mention. So you were looking at these books you mentioned that David Hawkins has written that form his MCU. Yeah. And... You noticed something about his website. Yeah. So um, I went to the publisher's website to find the books. The publisher's website unironically uses Comic Sans to describe (laughs) the content of the books. So, you know, once you see Comic Sans, you really have to work hard to continue a serious investigation into the concepts. Mac, we've hit time on the amount of time I'm willing to spend on this item. Yes. Thank you for your service. (laughs) I think all that's left now is the municipal rundown. And listener, you're thinking, well, there's so much episode. Well, there's so much rundown. Between last episode and this episode, something pretty critical happened, which was advanced polls opened up in the city of Edmonton. And people were now able to vote for candidates. So I took a brief period uh, just before lunch on the days that polls opened. And I went through all of the candidates, went to their websites and searched out to see if I could find their campaign disclosures. Mac, I didn't achieve a lot of success with that. (laughs) You didn't find many campaign disclosures. I I noticed you also used the Tappert survey to see which candidates said that they should disclose or that a candidate should disclose before the election and compared that with which actually had. And I'm guessing the percentage is pretty low. Roughly at the time of publishing, there were approximately 44 front runners. These are people that you look at, for example, Vanessa Denman, not a front runner, wasn't counted. (laughs) And about nine of them had published campaign disclosures. I didn't sum up exactly how many had committed to, but overall, the majority of candidates believe that proactive disclosure is important. And I got to say, I'll stroke your ego a little bit here. The Taproot survey has been a game changer for this type of coverage. There were candidates like, for example, um, Sarah Hamilton doesn't believe that proactive disclosure should occur. So normally, if I'm doing this work, and I've, you know, I hit Sarah Hamilton and say, hey, you should have disclosed this. And she replies, nah, I don't believe in that. Mm. Well, okay, I guess so. You know, you're doing what you believe. But this survey allows us to look at each ward and say, okay, well, who's not doing what they've said they're supposed to do? It's an accountability mechanism that we have not had in any municipal election before without a significant amount of work. Yeah, I was thrilled to see your Twitter thread. This is the, you know, the exactly the kind of active journalism that we want to make more of possible. So I was really happy to see that you did that. I was much less happy to see that so few people have actually proactively disclosed. Uh, As you say, advanced voting is now open. And we know that in the first couple of days of advanced voting, there was three times as many people who voted as the last election. So Maybe that's the pandemic bump. Uh, But there's a lot of people that have already cast their vote without knowing anything about this. Do you have any hope, Troy, that the other candidates, the rest of the 44, are going to disclose something before Election Day? Yes. 
is the short answer to that question. After I published the thread, candidates started hitting me up and saying, I've published my disclosure. Uh, the first one to do it was Ann Stevenson in O'Damon. Uh, it was, I think, 58 minutes after my thread was published that her disclosures were up on the website. Nice. Shamir Turner in Garheo. It was reasonably quick. Uh, one of her volunteers responded into the thread with the disclosure, and then it was published on the website the next day. So that was pretty quick. Uh, Joshua Wolchansky and O'Damon, he was uh, pretty quick in there as well. Ahmed Nomadic, who didn't have his disclosure before, now has his disclosure up. Corey Longo in Métis, who didn't have it. So there's several people that have all taken this up, and my thread was the onus. Uh, should my thread have been the onus? I I'm a little bit skeptical on that, but it was a benefit, and it did give me hope that something would change. Well, I love that. Great job on enforcing this and uh, drawing some attention to it. It's really easy to say one thing and then never follow through because nobody checks on it. So if you're listening and you're a candidate, know that Troy is going to check. I want to ask you about the mayoral candidates specifically. What's the situation there? As of my thread, none of the five frontrunners had published disclosures. And as of recording on Thursday evening, none of the five have published disclosures. So there's been no change on the mayoral front, which is where I would say most of the money, at least the largest amount of money is in elections. So that's pretty disappointing. That's Amarjeet Sohi, Michael Ashri, Mike Nickel, Kim Cushell, and Cheryl Watson. None of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point, should we include Cheryl Watson in there? Probably not. I did specifically... Or Kim Cushell. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did specifically include Cheryl Watson because it's extra levels of hypocritical for her. Because if you'll recall months and months ago, when she was declared as a candidate with absolutely no policies whatsoever, months later, she did a big press release for her first policy. And that was about transparency in government. It was pretty wonkish. We didn't really love it, but it was exactly this. It was about keeping your elected official and your administrations accountable. And she still has not published her campaign disclosure, which very bad luck. So to be fair to Cheryl, she did, as part of that transparency thing, publish her expenses from when she was a vice president of Innovate Edmonton. And she did say in the survey that sometime before, she said yes, before the election, a candidate should disclose. So she Still has time, I guess, but your point is well made. I want to talk a bit about that question in the survey, too, because this levies a bit of criticism for your survey for next year. Sure. Because the question is, should candidates disclose their donors? And the answer is yes, before the election. Now, that's a very different question from will you disclose right. your donors? Right. And I think there was nowhere that this was more clear than over in Ward Dene, where Aaron Paquette was the only person on this survey to respond to the question, they should not have donors. And now, of course, he is accepting donations because he lives in reality and he needs it to win the election. <laughs> but this was an idealistic question as written. Yes. And yes, candidates should disclose. But, and as a couple candidates have reached out to me in confidence after publishing this thread, several of them have chosen not to at this point because it's disadvantageous to do so. It's it's sort of like mutually assured destruction. Even if your competitors are doing it, any information you release is a disadvantage. The more information your competitors have, the worse it is for you. And now when there's a legislated rule by this date, everyone has to disclose, that's an even playing field. 
Right. But when it's sort of like an asymmetrical campaign here, and there's no rules governing this, and there were rules before then. The NDP put in rules requiring proactive disclosure, and the UCP removed them. So without these rules, it's kind of a wild west. And as much as some candidates have ideals, it's sort of quixotic, you know? Their ideals run counter to their ability to win in some cases. And that isn't great. No, absolutely not. So I take it you would be in favor of bringing back uh, a disclosure rule. Yeah, absolutely. One baffling piece of news that came out this week, uh, which I did not expect, was not on my 2021 bingo card, was Chief Dale McPhee, that's the Edmonton Police Chief. The Edmonton Police Commission extended his contract until 2026. What? What? What happened here, Mac? Why? So Police Chief Dale McPhee was supposed to have his contract expire in January 2024, uh, the police commission, for no apparent reason, as you pointed out, has now extended this to June 2026. And I, I thought, you know, I don't really understand the point of this. You know, they indicated that the extension was important to allow him to continue to continue his, quote, efforts in modernizations and driving change in policing, end quote. And they, they said in their news release about this that they were impressed with the work that he's done on that file. Uh, he's been the police chief since 2019. And, you know, aside from, I suppose, this weak reason that they want him to continue doing his work, I couldn't think of a reason why they would want to extend it right now. Uh, But you did, noting the dates. Yeah, so the only possible reason I can think for doing this is to bind the hands of the next council. Because his contract would have expired during this next council term. Yeah, and that would have been an opportunity for council to seek out a new police chief. Of course, council can always seek out and dismiss a police chief whenever they want, but there's contract severance associated with that. The contract end date is an easy switch. And now that's not going to occur in the next council's term. Now, if I was being charitable, I would say that Chief Dale McPhee might have some long-term plans for reform. And this contract extension ensures that he's able to achieve generational thinking because he might be able to do unpopular things in the one term in order to achieve dividends in the next term. If I was being cynical, I would say that the writing is on the wall that reform from outside the police is coming. And this was people who were sympathetic to Dale McVie ensuring that he gets his due. I don't know which is the correct take, but one of them might be. I think probably more of the cynical one. The chief often will say things that, you know, the current situation is not working and that, you know, change is is needed. But then when you actually listen to him talk, he's against most of the things that academics and other experts are calling for, such as supervised consumption sites and housing first and all of the things that we need. He doesn't necessarily discount those, but he says they're they're not enough. Uh, and in talking about this contract extension, he's talked about being, quote, relentless on crime and gun crime. He says there's people working 24-7 to make sure that violent gang-on-gang violence is not uh, a thing that happens in our city. Not, you know, taking into consideration or account all the things that people are asking for, which is pretty simple. It's treat people with respect. (laughs) Don't do the dumb things that police have been known to do and are increasingly being shown to do. You know, he says, quote, we're not going to be told that we don't belong in this space because we absolutely believe that we're critical in this space. That doesn't sound like somebody who's willing to accept whatever outside changes might be coming without a fight. 
Right. And I think the police commission likes that about him. I think they like that he's going to be this person who's going to stand up for the police. And I guess it's hard to argue with that because he's the police chief. That's kind of his job. But it does set it up for a, a sort of an interesting time for this next council, as you say, knowing that he will be the police chief throughout unless they you know, break the contract in some way, which could be expensive and costly in other ways. Well, let's talk about the next council because we published a taproot survey. So we asked some candidates questions about the police. What were some uh, interesting nuggets that we found in that survey? Well, the one question that I think is quite interesting was, uh, which statement best captures your beliefs about racism and the Edmonton Police Service? And we gave a few options. Systemic racism is apparent throughout the EPS, or the EPS is not racist on the whole, but there are some racist members or there is no racism within the EPS. And there's a pretty even split, I suppose, between the first two options. So candidates who think that racism is apparent throughout, those that believe, I suppose, that it's systemic. Um, And then the other half kind of in the uh, not racist on the whole. But there were some people who chose not to answer this at all. And uh, one of them in particular caught my eye, which is uh, current counselor Sarah Hamilton, who chose not to answer any of the three questions about the police. And I thought that was interesting because she is one of the two council members on the police commission. You would think that she would have an opinion about the police. I actually did see a constituent criticize her on Twitter about this, and she replied to it. And the crux of her comments, I don't have them on hand, was essentially that the questions are reductive to the complexities of legislating policing. Do you think that has any merit? No, not really. I don't, actually. <laughs> uh, right. I think I think if you believe that there's racism, then you, you have to understand that it's systemic. And it doesn't mean that any individual is necessarily a bad person, but our institutions are inherently racist. They're systemically racist. I don't think that's a very hard question to answer. And then the second question we asked about this is what should be done about the police budget? And I suppose you could argue that there isn't your answer there, but I feel like that's just incredibly you know, parsing for nuance, right? You know, either we increase it by the funding formula, we freeze it, we decrease it somewhat, or that we defund it altogether, which is the options that we gave people. And then the third question about how the police requests for capital projects should be handled. I mean, the really easy answer here is that council should closely scrutinize all requests if you believe that, you know, you don't trust the police, or if you do trust the police, then council should trust the police to know what they need and generally approve them. I don't feel like there's nuance missing in these answers. I feel like she just chose not to answer them because she didn't want to be on the record and held to her position. We're getting low on time, so we're going to rapid fire through some of these municipal election rundowns because there's some interesting items and, you know, I think we want to know. I think first, voter turnout is huge in the first two days of the advanced polls, like massively through the roof. Yeah, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think they said there are over 12,000 people that uh, lined up to vote and in advance voting on Monday and Tuesday alone. There was wait times. You can go on the city's website to find your station and they'll tell you what the wait time is, the estimated wait time. I went to my voting station uh, here this week and it was really quick, actually, in the public library downtown. So there are people doing it. Uh, Like I said, I think it might be because of the pandemic, right? People want to avoid Uh, getting into rooms with people on election day and having to wait for a very long time? Maybe not. But so far, advanced voting is off to a rip-roaring start. I advanced voted. Their poll workers said a lot of people have come through. So anecdotal evidence checks that box. The story that will never die. The NDP has denied running an Edmonton City Council slate. Shocker, because they didn't. And 
the most newsworthy part of that is they have defended the endorsement that NDP MLAs have given to candidates. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, party leader Rachel Notley said, when you're a strong constituency MLA, you develop relationships with people who are activists in your community on issues that often overlap between municipal and provincial and federal. And so it's not uncommon. Uh, she said they're not officially endorsing candidates, but individual MLAs are free to because of these relationships that they that they might have. I think she really hit the nail on the head here. I do get a little bit frustrated when MLAs endorse candidates because sometimes it's not the candidates that I want them to endorse, but maybe that's a separate <laughs> issue. But fundamentally, it's a small world, and people who are political are not political at a particular order of government. Everyone right. cares about society in the same ways. And it's I see this as no different than a community league president running for council. I've long heard criticisms like, oh, if you're a community league president, you can't run for council. No, you're a community league president because you're the type of person who would run for council. You care right. about your community so much that you want to waste your time doing this thing. <laughs> there you go, Troy, with your don't run for council message again. You're very committed to that. And like you and I said before, I think Slate can be a useful thing. Obviously, they're denying it here, but an endorsement or a slate is a is a shorthand to know where somebody lands, what kinds of issues, or where do they land on those issues, what kinds of things do they believe. It's much better than the alternative, which is just looking at the number of signs that somebody has. Don Iveson has uh, given out two more of those endorsements since we last talked. One to Karen Tang running in Gary Hale. Uh, Karen Tang previously ran against Mike Nickel in Ward 11. And the other, not to a council candidate, this one... I think was the least shocking endorsement coming from Don Iveson, but it was to Julie Cusick, who's running for school board trustee in Ward F. Yeah, I keep thinking like, why isn't Julie running for council? She would be a great counselor. She will be a great uh, public school trustee, I'm sure as well. And that is not a surprising endorsement, as you say. If I was just speculating here, Julie Cusick, I've talked to her many times in the past, and she's a strong believer in living where you run. You know, she wants to live in sure. the ward. She lives in Papasteo. Yeah, one of the busiest boards. Yeah, fair enough. You could select basically any candidate in the election, and they're probably doing a Reddit AMA. AMA is an ask me anything. This is where they put up a picture with a sign and say, hey, I'm a real person. And then they answer questions from readers in the thread, right? Yes. And AMAs have long been a culture of reddit.com where interesting people, often celebrities, would come on and you'd ask them anything. And the yeah. idea with an ask me anything is it's truly anything. You know, what's your favorite color? Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? It's a very common one. Yeah. Candidates have seen people like Andrew Knack engage very popularly on Reddit, Aaron Paquette as well. There's a lot of back and forth because of how those counselors typically operate. There's a lot of dialogue with those counselors. And Amarjeet Sohi recently did an AMA that was very strongly upvoted, got a lot of attention, probably a lot of positive voter outreach. And candidates look at it and they think, well, gee, there's a lot of votes there. I'd sure like to get me some of those. And they basically take Reddit as another place to copy and paste their campaign talking points. They've seen not a lot of success with that strategy. Uh, a lot of council candidates have sort of come and go. They're forgettable. Most mayoral candidates are now doing them. Today, as we're recording this, mayoral candidate Kim Cruschel is doing her AMA. And, you know, I don't think it's going great. 
<laughs> she uh, started answering questions just this evening as we basically as we started recording. But you posted a question, Troy, and she answered it. It was one of the first ones she answered. Were you happy with her response? No. The crux of my question is essentially, hey, Kim Cruschel, here's the preamble. Your campaign sucks. You're for Edmonton. You're about common sense inf- innovation, back to basics. You're bold in your simplicity. It's a bunch of talking points. And I said, let's talk about a specific. In your platform, on your website, including all the extended descriptions, the word climate occurs zero times. We're in a climate emergency. So there are three possible things. One, you don't think climate change is important. Two, you think climate change is important, but it's not actionable and we shouldn't be taking any action on it. Or three, you think it's not useful to be forthcoming about important policy that you plan to enact. One of those has to be true. There's no way one of those cannot be true. And I asked her, just please tell me which one of those is definitely true with specifics, including action items, and tell us why the other two aren't true. And you fin- and you finished your comment with, thanks and sorry that this AMA isn't just a breeze to get free press for your campaign. It was a little antagonistic. I am. I, I am being antagonistic. Sue me. Sorry, Mike Nichols got that under control. <laughs> But this is the spirit of the AMA, right? I mean, you open yourself up to this kind of dialogue and people who engage genuinely let that stuff slide off their back and then get to the heart of the question, right? Here's the thing. If you handle that tough question publicly and earnestly, it earns you so many points. If she had come into the question and said, you know, I should have put this on my website, Here's my plans and policies. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about it. Yeah. She would have been upvoted. It would have been great. And she would have won voters. Instead, she said a bunch of platitudes about consultation and listening and said that I'm releasing my policy on climate change this week. Spoiler alert. People are already voting and it will outline <laughs> it in full. Looking forward to seeing your feedback once it's posted. And that's just not the spirit of an AMA. It's not come on, hear my talking points. And any questions you have, I'll keep secret until next week. That's just not what a dialogue is. Um, so, you know, I think it's par for the course for what Chrishell is coming. I think it's par for the course for, for what we've seen from Chrishell. But I think it cements her position as, at best, a third-place candidate. How do you feel about her calling you a other candidate's hardcore fanboy? <laughs> as of recording, I just released a video parroting Alexander Hamilton with the lyrics Amarjeet Sohi. So she's not wrong then. She's not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about the musical quickly, but I just wanted to say in case people are wondering about this, the Edmonton subreddit has 138,000 members. Now, granted, not all of those people are in Edmonton, but it is a very sizable community. And so you can see the appeal for someone like Kim Cruschel, even though she says in her comment that she's not here to get free press. You can see why people go on Reddit. Okay, the musical, it's pretty epic. <laughs> give us uh, give us uh, Cole's notes here. What should we know? And then where can people go watch it? Twitter.com slash Troy Pavlik. You know, it's where you go to get all the good stuff. You could also go on to Facebook or Reddit and you find it there too as well. Here's the Cliff's notes, okay? A couple months ago, it was probably 11.30 p.m. on a weekend. And I thought, hey... Alexander Hamilton and Amarjeet Sohi have about the same mouth feel. And then I'm like, <laughs> I, I watched Hamilton the other day. 
let's write it. And then I spent three hours staying up till 2am writing some lyrics and then I refined them and then I recorded a video and then I went to theater garage and got costumes and put a green screen pickup shots and then we recorded it with uh, my friend who's a very talented musician and we put this thing together and we pitched it to the Sohi campaign and said, hey, would you like to participate? And they told me to pound sand and you know what I did when I was frustrated (laughs) that they didn't participate? I put it out anyway because so he's the best candidate. That's really Uh, shocking that they wouldn't want the Troy bump, the Troy musical bump. Here's the thing. They got the Troy musical bump anyway. They called my bluff. I guess so. But had they participated in the campaign, they've lost their plausible deniability. And I have learned through talking to several candidates who have not put me on their campaign staff because they've had the very frank discussion with me that they're like, Troy, we do not want the campaign to be officially associated with you. Fair. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. Well, go check it out. It's pretty epic. And you can also check out roomy.ca. Let's have a listen. Hi there, I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Roomy. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit roomy.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today. Okay, are we, are we done? I think so. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.